We are for the people. And if you ain't for the people, you can't buy the people. Lincoln. Of Cinema Wheeler Tay. It's uh, Sean, Tony, and Scott, as usual. Hello. And we have a first time guest, which we've been getting a lot lately, which is great, too. We've been having a lot of. A lot of Cinema Wheeler Tay virgins. Yeah, very much so. Very much so. And our latest virgin is. Maybe I should say that. Yeah, maybe. I feel safe. It might be better better suited when you say it than me. And our latest first timer. Yeah. Um, well, she's from uh, Columbus Unscripted, uh, Becky Salen, everybody. Thank you guys so much for having me. I'm so excited. Longtime listener. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Could, What's your favorite podcast? Of, of anything? Well, that we've done. Oh, that you guys have done. <laughs> I'm vain. Which one of ours did you like the most? Oh, my gosh. I'm trying to think of the... Um, well, I just listened to The Room today. Oh. <laughs> that was a good one. Um, That's a recent one, too. Yeah. Oh, hi, Mark. Yeah. <laughs> I, I remember Planet Nine from Outer Space. That was oh. a really good one. It's one of yeah. our earlier ones. Yeah. yeah. I'm proud of that one. Scott actually made some special editing choices for that, I remember, with the... Oh, yeah. yeah. We edited that one. Thank <laughs> God for no copyright. Yeah, no copyright. So I was able to put quotes and put any clips during the... You would mention the clip and I would play it. So. Oh, that is fun. Oh, I also, I like the one where you guys uh, were talking about Disney World and Universal Studios. Oh, yeah. yeah. That one stuck. It was it was personal. It was a nice touch. Yeah. Thank God. We, we didn't realize how long we were going to go with that one. That was like, glad we were listening to it. After that, I really was so tired after we recorded that one. Yeah. Before, yeah, it was like two hours. Yeah. We didn't realize how long it would take to cover every single part. <laughs> <laughs> we spent like a half hour on each one, but yeah. Yeah, that was a fun one. <laughs> well, speaking of Disney, that's there's my segue right there. Uh, this is actually a Disney production under the banner Touchstone Pictures, but it's Disney. Uh, and it's a movie that made a big impact on me in 1990. I think Scott felt some of that impact. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I was, <laughs> no, honestly, I was all about this movie. Uh, I was too. Uh, it's from 1990, uh, Dick Tracy, uh, which... I was in the throes of anything 1930s related back then, but not 1930s itself, but any <laughs> 1980s or 90s product that repackaged like the, oh, right. okay. the 1930s. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, you had The Untouchables, it was like mm-hmm. in 1987, yeah. then you had Roger Rabbit in 88, yes. Yes. then Batman had kind of those elements, it was based yeah. on a character from 1939, and then, lo and behold, here comes Dick Tracy, which completely embraces that whole period in a cartoonish way. Yeah. Yeah, I just learned that it takes place in Chicago. Uh-huh. Really? Which I didn't realize watching it because they didn't really... Did they mention it? No, no. but I would have oh. guessed just because you the guessed way gangster singing... Al Capone. I mean, most yeah. of that stuff was Chicago... Yeah. You know, born and wow. bred. I would have I would have assumed Chicago. I never knew it was based in any specific yeah. city because they just, just referred to it as the city. Yeah. And even yeah. Roger Ebert in his review, he loved the movie. He called it the city. It's like the American's ideal dream of what a metropolitan city would look like. Mm-hmm. I watched it on Amazon and the description it says Chicago. Yeah. So um, I was like, oh, okay. But then when you know it's Chicago, it makes sense. Oh, it's Chicago-ish, no doubt. Yeah, you know, absolutely. It's, it's, well, Big Boy's based on Al Capone. Right. For sure. So, there you go. 
I thought there was beauty in it deliberately being generic. Like yeah. with the yeah. generic diner, club mm-hmm. ritz, the can that just says chili. Yeah, yeah. I was going to point that out. Yeah, always I, eating that chili. Everything is labeled yes. perfectly and given the names yeah, of yeah. people. Yeah. <laughs> the, the chili is my favorite, though. When he's stirring that chili that has those that, that chili. Shot. Oh. <laughs> well, and also, let's not discount the fact that, and this is in a good way, it clearly looks like a, like a Warner Brothers studio set. Mm-hmm. You know, like, it, I mean, especially us having recently visited and we've seen it, it having been there, even on the Paramount lot, like, you, you're able to identify, I, I feel like now more quickly when movies are shot in the studio lots, you can just, there's something different about the exteriors and, but, but this movie, even, even how they would kind of hop from one part of town to the next, you'd see that building start to kind of light up and whatnot, yeah. it just yeah. all seemed, it was like, oh. It has a, I wonder if this is on the set. Is this Warner Brothers? I confirm it was. I checked it on was, IMDb. I was right. Yeah, okay, it great. was one of the one of the locations. Yeah. Most of it was filmed in Universal. Okay. In Burbank. Oh, got to, it. Like you know, in the Universal City. Because remember, they took us down that Gangster Street. Yes. In Warner Brothers, and they said it was um, a lot of like gangster movies were made in that one because it kind of looked like a like an alley or not an alley, oh. but they had alleys. But it was very very city based, and it just looked like. And Dick Tracy had to be filmed and part of that. I mean, that's just tailor-made. And Warner Brothers was known for their gangster movies. That's actually Mm -hmm. a great time. I like the opening. The opening movie is great where he shows him getting ready in silhouette. Yeah. And then it scrolls up and you see the city. <laughs> that was cool. I was like, it's a very stylistic movie for sure. Oh, well, I loved, I loved too that, that essentially everything is primary colors. Mm -hmm. You Mm -hmm. know, red, yellow, blue. And green. And that's such a... That was by design, yeah, too. Like he, You see some orange in there every now and again, but for the most part, it's just the primary... The main... You have one color colors. that kind of yeah. captures you. Like Dick Tracy's whole house is red and yellow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Everything is red and yellow. <laughs> he loves yellow, Dick Tracy. <laughs> he has got a thing for yellow. Well, but, but it's true. I think that's yeah. neat. You know, I love, I love that kind of thing. I mean, going back to the Heathers podcast, how deliberate they were with the colors for each character, you know, that, that kind of thing mm-hmm. is like right up my alley. So I like that. Uh, yeah, I read that um, the costume designer tried to do that with the colors. Um, like, B- Big Boy is is blues in contrast to Dick Tracy's yellows. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, that's mm-hmm. a good choice. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And Tess wore a lot of green. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Breathless wore a lot of black. Uh-huh. So. Yeah. <laughs> she was she was in black and white, like um, mm-hmm. Glenn Close in Fatal Attraction. Right? Oh, yeah. Or 101 Dalmatians. That's <laughs> Corella DeVille. I think there was a lot of Glenn green Close's for... Uh, <laughs> I think Dick Van Dyke had a lot of green. Yeah, Dick Van Dyke had a lot of green. Money, you know. Right. Payola. Uh, yeah, but it was absolutely beautiful. It, it really does look like a comic book come to life, so... You know, you have to give them credit for that. That was one of the first things that drew me to the film. Like, I, I you could have been more into Batman, obviously, than I was in that period. This was 1989, 1990. And this movie was hyped the same way Batman was hyped, because oh, Disney yeah. saw how Warner Brothers <laughs> hyped that movie. So Dick Tracy was everywhere Oh, I remember. Yeah. I, and I, you know, growing up an avid Madonna fan, this is Madonna in her prime, which we'll oh, talk yeah. more about that later. Well, yeah, yeah, we will. We will. We'll definitely get to that. Um... <laughs> But I remember watching this movie. Scott and I went to see it in the theaters. I remember yeah. that specifically. And I 
I love this movie that whole summer. It's kind of like I had Batman fever. I had Dick Tracy fever through 1990. In fact, my parents and Scott just reminded me that I dressed like Dick Tracy for Halloween. I have a lot more fever. I had, I know, I know. I had the hat and the, and I had like, I forget the jacket I had. I think it was a yellow jacket. Yeah, yeah, the yellow. It had to have been a yellow jacket. Yeah, it had to have been. had the hat for years. It was just like a yellow felt yeah like felt it, oh, it was it's a fedora it must have been a costume that you bought yeah because it was it was not a real it was very yellow this it, i mean it was there was no other use for it than a big tracy hat and i know you had the coat yeah and then uh, I think you should be Dick Tracy again this year. Oh, I would, I would clearly be Dick Tracy yeah, yeah, now. Yeah. Nobody would get the reference, time. but I know that I would. You know, um, but I had a Dick. I bought it with Batman. Like I bought this Dick Tracy anthology book my mom bought me because I had never read or heard of Dick Tracy prior to the movie. We did not get yeah. the comic strip in the newspaper at that point, oh. even though I know it's been running forever in, in, yeah, the, in the newspapers. In, right? Um, I knew nothing about Dick Tracy. Did you know anything? Did you guys know anything about Dick Tracy before you saw the no, film? Nothing. I really didn't know anything about it. I mean, I was five in 1990, so this <laughs> yeah, was all yeah, the exactly. Movie. You were really then. Yeah, you know. I, I, I had you knew Madonna, but you didn't. Know Dick Tracy. <laughs> I was all about that movie because Madonna. Let's face it. <laughs> what were your parents letting no you watch? No idea who Dick Tracy was. I think this justify my love video would be perfect for Tony to watch right now. <laughs> knew that I appreciated it. She did. Yeah. They knew you were sophisticated <laughs> beyond your years. <laughs> but I think Disney did a great job of, of informing us who Dick Tracy was, too, in their ad campaign. Because I remember just being bombarded with mm-hmm. it, mm-hmm. you know, leading up to the premiere of the movie. And they were, they were selling it, I think, a lot like Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Which was, I cannot overstate how important that movie was to me. Oh, <laughs> um, we haven't done that yet, have we? We have to do that soon. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it, they, you know, I, I know they hyped the the wristwatch. They, you know, mm-hmm. they would show some of the mm-hmm. images and you know be like, "Remember, kids, tell your parents to get you to see Dick Tracy. <laughs> Buy the toys." Yeah, they had the toys. <laughs> oh yeah, which I we mean, had. Oh, Marketing in the late 80s, early 90s was incredible. I mean, I remember I used to love the Ninja Turtles, mm-hmm. which is kind of shocking, I know. People wouldn't suspect I would like the Ninja Turtles because I'm so girly and everything. <laughs> oh. But man, I love the Ninja Turtles. <laughs> and I remember buying like Ninja Turtle cereal. I mean, there was a oh, cereal yeah. for every character or, or movie or something that was coming out. I mean, yeah. the marketing was just so incredible back then. Was there a Dick Tracy series? I would, I wouldn't be surprised they if there was. Could have done great things with Prune well, Face. I know they could. <laughs> they should just have a Prune Face cereal. Oh my god! Right. Um, His face reminded me of Jim Carrey in The Mask. Oh, it reminded yeah. me of The Mask. Yeah, they were. So... You remember, like when you would. <laughs> oh yeah, I absolutely yeah. remember that. Yeah, that's kind of with the lines going through the face. Mm-hmm. That's what it reminded me of. That was very much so. I was um, just waiting for him to come out and say, smoke him! Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I remember. We're smoking him out. <laughs> We're rubbing him out. Rubbing him out. All right, don't get me started on the dialogue. I'll, I'll rave about the dialogue. But um, you're mentioning the Ninja Turtles. That live action yeah. Turtles film came out in oh, 90. Yeah. It came right before Dick Tracy. I loved it. Oh, yeah, really? It, it was mm-hmm. huge. Um, I liked the cartoon better than the movie. Yeah. I thought the Teenage Mutant mm-hmm. Ninja Turtles cartoon was funnier. I actually saw an episode of that oh, recently. I would watch the cartoons too, but yeah, then that the was movie the came out, and I mean, yeah, the movie you know, was, that was just yeah. right up your alley. It was. And, uh, I remember that, yeah. And then, 
it, the difference though is like you know Ninja Turtles you could tell was made on the cheap it didn't have any major stars it had those Jim Henson puppets <laughs> they're probably like the second tier those puppets puppeteer. are amazing thank <laughs> you I love the Ninja yeah. Turtles but like I yeah. think they made everyone ill like people who were in the turtle costumes were like suffocating and um yeah, I, I'm here to, to bring the joy to this no, show. No, no, no. I don't doubt it. I mean, I there's bet. a lot of really dangerous things that happen mm-hmm. with costuming. You have to suffer for your yeah. art. That's true. <laughs> yeah. For your Ninja Turtle art. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's funny, like, Batman and Dick Tracy got the prestige A-list production value both times, you know? Yeah. Like, you got well, huge stars. Oh, yeah. yeah. This is even more so than Batman. Batman had Jack Nicholson, Michael Keaton, and, and Kim Basinger. So it had some stars. Oh, yeah. This movie, <laughs> this movie, Kelly cast stars. You know, you think it's an Oliver Stone production where everybody <laughs> yeah. is like a major I A-list. Baby called in all his favors from this movie. <laughs> he did. All these guys, like, like it's not just that they're all like great A-list movie star, marquee names. Mm-hmm. You have some of the best character actors in history yeah. in this movie. I mean, you have, you know, Estelle... Parsons, who was work of Beatty on Bonnie and Clyde, and, and she plays Tess Trueheart's mother in this. Oh, yeah, in that yeah. short scene, yeah. You have Seymour Cassell, who was one of those actors from the new Hollywood in the 70s, mm-hmm. but he's probably best known for us as, like, Max Fisher's father in Rushmore. He plays one of the <laughs> oh, side yes. detectives. Oh, yeah. yeah. Paul Sorvino. Yeah, Paul Sorvino, I mean... <laughs> Coming straight off of Goodfellas. Paul Servino played two mob bosses in the same year. He played Lips Manless, and then he played Polly yep, and Goodfellas the same year. Oh, yeah. And I found it an interesting... We need to do that movie. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. There's a whole list of movies. <laughs> I'm writing them down. Yeah, Ninja Turtles, Goodfellas, and Roger that. It should be three together as one, you know. But uh, what's interesting, I read that Scorsese almost directed Dick Tracy. Because he was desperate for like a commercial hit at that time, yeah. and he ended up passing to do Goodfellas, which yeah. cracks me up. He went from the most hyper-realized uh, gangster movie in the world to an actual realistic gangster film. You know, it's uh, incredible. Oh, I would love to see Scorsese's Dick Tracy. I would pay through the nose. I would love I to see that. David Lynch's Dick Tracy. Oh, <laughs> you kind of got close here to David Lynch. I, yeah, I think yes. it's closer to David Lynch's because it's more stylistic. And yeah. But his would be like darker. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Darker. it would be much darker. And it would have like dream sequences and fun things it, like that. Yeah, <laughs> it needed a little. And great bit. music. Yeah. Although this had good music too. Oh, the music oh my is, god! Is. <laughs> David Lynch would zero in on Little Face. That's all I know. <laughs> okay. you know that's the movie, Little Face. That's my, I'm gonna make a Little Face movie. Hey, Little Face used, needs love. He could have used more screen time. Uh, yeah. I think the forced perspective would have been difficult. <laughs> but yeah, the, the cast is unbelievable. Um, and the rice would have been quinoa. Yeah, and then would have said quinoa in the can. Oh, <laughs> the flat top messages would have been really cryptic too. It wouldn't even been eat lead Tracy. It would have been something else. Like yeah, exactly. It would have been backwards. <laughs> yeah. He would have been talking backwards. He still would have cackled though. That's the good thing because Lynch likes cackling too. Mm-hmm. So. Um, and David Lynch would play. Wouldn't he make a great Dick Tracy? Huh, I would. Oh. Just, <laughs> I would, I would ah, cast David Lynch. Ah. <laughs> hey, big boy! <laughs> oh my goodness, I love it. What you doing, big boy? Yeah. Oh, uh, oh, Lynch and Pacino. That would be oh, an interesting <laughs> interaction. Um, I uh, getting to the main hitters. There's Warren Beatty loved Dick Tracy. Like he was a genuine Dick Tracy fanatic. He apparently grew up 
with his mother reading him the comic strips when he was a kid because it was in the 30s. I think Beatty was born in what, 37 or so. So he was probably the right age for Dick Tracy to, to really So get. this was a passion project. This was a passion project, yeah. It wasn't just... He partially needed a commercial hit because Ishtar was a huge bomb. That was his oh, previous film. Oh, God love it. Yeah, <laughs> uh, poor. I mean, Dustin Hoffman, I they all... Dustin Hoffman probably deserved it, but I everyone really else... Like, uh, <laughs> for, no. as, for as big a star as he was, he didn't have a lot of huge hits. Or Beatty. Like, well, had, like, they were, like, critically good, but they weren't, like, box office. Well, Bonnie and Clyde was a massive hit okay, in 1967. That, that was not only a massive hit. With Faye Dunaway? Was a, yeah, with Faye Dunaway. Yeah. That was a game changer. He had Splendid, Splendor in the Grass. He had two huge Oh, and uh, what's the one uh, where he's the, he comes back? Heaven uh, Can Wait? That was popular. Uh, shampoo was a big hit shampoo. in the 70s. Oh, with Goldie Hawn. With Goldie Hawn, yeah. yeah. In fact, I was listening to an interview with like uh, an aficionado of Dick Tracy, and he was really upset that Warren Beatty cast himself as Dick Tracy because he's like, he made that dirty movie Shampoo, and Dick Tracy's not about <laughs> that at all. Dick Tracy's hardcore, good old-fashioned American values. You know, I have to, I have to agree. I just, I, I, I love the movie, and I think for the most part, you know, the casting is, is really well done. I just don't really buy Warren Beatty as Dick Tracy. There's, there's just... I mean, it's okay. He does a decent job. It's passable. Um, I don't know. I just feel like he didn't have that certain je ne sais quoi. Like, he just... There was something quite off about him being Dick Tracy for me. I think the perfect yeah. casting for Dick Tracy, and you couldn't do it because he's got so many, would probably be Harrison Ford. Oh, that was yeah. a contender. He for was. This. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but... He, he didn't... There was, like, there was an edge or something missing to him. Like, like Warren Beatty was too almost disconnected which is interesting that this is a passion project for him because he his when I watched it the other night I remember thinking this is the word that I used in my mind was he was bland he was very bland as Dick Tracy you know uh, you're not alone in that sentiment like my father said I thought he was miscast as Dick yeah. Tracy so I needed somebody a little more harder edged same for me see Ed yeah. and I we have similar tastes could, you, yeah. could it be that he directed it too that he wasn't Maybe he was that, distracted from being... Yeah, I, I liked him in this movie. I thought he... I, I thought he did a good job. I think you needed someone that wasn't as over the top. No, I didn't want him to be over the top. I think I think there was just a... a um, almost like a... Would you say Indifference. Yeah, yeah, and like a detachment. Like someone who speaks in a monotone voice. His performance is very monotone mm-hmm. for me. Mm-hmm. We never really saw him get excited. We never really right. saw much emotion from him. Oh, yeah, yeah. He was the same note the whole movie. And, and it could be yeah. a, a flaw in how the character is written, too. They didn't give yeah. Tracy enough of a distinct personality. On, That's on what he lacked a lot. He lacked personality. He was yeah. amused yeah. yes. a lot. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like he would be a really charismatic guy. Like, you know, someone like a Harrison Ford. Or, or if this movie was made in 1960, like Cary Grant. Would be yeah, great, Cary Grant would, would be, be a great Dick Tracy. Like, yeah. you need that. Bogart would be a good Bogart. Oh, Bogart. Bogart would be Yeah, someone that, like, yeah. play the monotone, they're charismatic in the monotone. <laughs> yes. If this was made in the 1930s, you'd have the quintessential Dick Tracy. You would have Bogart, you'd have James Cagney as Flat Top or something like that. Yeah. This movie that would and be. And Catherine Hepburn as Ted. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, and uh, like, so who would be a good breakfast? Meryl Monroe. There's several. Well, Test True Heart had to be based on Catherine Hepburn. I mean, to yeah. some degree. I've read, it's yeah. interesting that you mentioned that. I was going to get back to the Tracy thing, as far as, like, the moments I enjoyed him most are when he's fighting. 
Mm-hmm. Because that's when he kind of comes alive. Yeah, like, my yeah. favorite Tracy scene is when he takes down the tramp. The guy that's oh, yeah. Yeah. The, the little kid. And he goes, hey, is this guy bothering you? Hey, kid, is this guy bothering you? And then they have that fight and that shh. That <laughs> and it goes back and, oh, shack, goes back and forth. And then he goes out and he goes, uh... So what was he saying something about the chicken or something like that? Didn't he? Or it was like, some quip? <laughs> yeah, he's like, maybe next time you have enough chicken or something. <laughs> I yeah, love the kid. The yeah. kid. Yeah. But one of the only scenes, speaking of the kid, the one of the only scenes that I really felt like Warren Beatty was was believable as like a human, so to speak, in this movie was the scene towards the end when the kid showed him the certificate oh, yeah. and it said Dick Tracy mm-hmm. Jr. Like, he really looked touched by that. And yeah. this was when he was having, you know, issues with Tess. So his world was kind of upside down in that moment in time. But that was a really sweet scene. Like, I got a little choked up. I thought, well, you oh, looked at really it. Heartwarming. Yeah. I like how you looked at it. You didn't really mm-hmm. respond. It was really yeah. subtle. It yeah. was like you looked at it like, that's good. You know? Like, <laughs> yeah. Well, he realized yeah. how much he had. Yeah. I think yeah. he realized how much he had in Tess and the kid and that stability and... Yeah. 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 The the oh, go right oh, it was a good sidekick for him. Yeah. Yeah, he was. I I liked my favorite Dick Tracy as a character moment was when he when was um in the car trying to figure out you know the, the friend of my the enemy of my enemy is my friend <laughs> the enemy yeah, yeah. like they could have done that like he could have been like the absent-minded detective a little yeah. bit <laughs> yeah. kind of like Agent Cooper you know yes. he was kind of an asshole in a way because he was very selfish he did not he's a man <laughs> goes without saying but yeah the uh, I mean he was very selfish especially with the Tess because Tess had to understand him it wasn't a matter of him. Taking the desk job and yeah. sacrificing something of himself to make it work. It was her yeah. sacrificing her time. And I don't even think he learned that lesson, really. She just yeah. came around. Yeah, at the end, he he eats his cake and has it, too. Yeah. 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 Just, yeah. yep, off, I gotta go. Yeah, I'll, I'll marry you. <laughs> and that guy, even to, get out, even to escape that one, that that place... He has he sacrifices that one guy to jump down and go through, so that, and he doesn't even come back and get that guy. No. <laughs> that was a brilliant moment, by the way, because I was thinking, you know, they, trying to compete with Batman a little bit and mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. skylight scene. Mm-hmm. So Dick Tracy not only crashes down through the skylight, he goes up it through it. Yeah, he goes up. Yeah, take that, under. Tim Burton. I, I, I'm glad you brought that up because in his yellow jacket, which is yeah. Right. What, what what made Beatty think that Dick Tracy and Batman could do the same things anyway? Because like you know, Batman hides in shadows. That's why he jumps down and why it's effective. Dick Tracy's right there in the middle of the public in a bright yellow yeah, in a bright yellow jacket. Is he looks. He's more like the Joker than he is like Batman. You know, um, but it is. Interesting because I know that um, Bob Kane, who created Batman, was definitely influenced by Dick Tracy, which came like five or like seven or eight years before yeah. Batman. And Chester Gould, the guy who created Dick Tracy, inspired Bob Kane's illustrations because he loved the villains and Dick mm-hmm. Tracy because they were all kind of deformed and weird yes. looking. And that's like <laughs> ding. Well, maybe I'm gonna create a Joker and a Penguin and a Riddler and a Two Face, you know, yeah. which are all yeah. kind of inspired by those. Dick Tracy villains. Yeah, like gangsters, yeah. I yeah. think Dick Tracy had a two face. Um, maybe he came later, but no. I read where there was actually in the early Batman comics a character called that was modeled after the Blank that looked exactly alike because the Blank was actually in the comics, you know, as a character. So 
it, needless to say, the Danny Elfman score clearly. Oh, I know. <laughs> well, it's <laughs> funny. One of the first yeah. things I texted you guys when I started watching this movie Friday night again was something to the effect of this is clearly inspired by the 1989 Batman. Yeah. I looked into it. This movie was filmed, completed before Batman came out as the filming. Oh, okay. But then Batman yeah. became a massive hit, and the marketing team at Disney said, we need to do Batman for Dick Tracy as far as the marketing. And Beatty loved the score for Batman so much that Elfman composed that he hired him wow. to do Dick Tracy for obvious That's reasons. Yeah. Um, and uh, Elfman said when he worked with... Beatty was actually a musician because he could play the piano. So even though they were both musicians, he said he had trouble communicating with Beatty until they started talking normally with each other. <laughs> but he did say Warren Beatty was insane. And I'm laughing because it's like, this guy worked with Tim Burton and he thinks Warren Beatty's insane. <laughs> right. Just because Burton has an abstract... Artistic sense doesn't mean he's insane. No, I, I know. But a lot of people associate that. You're absolutely yeah. right. But um, it's a lot of times the normal people are the ones who are quite neurotic. But I would say, like, superficially, if you said if Tim Burton and Warren Beatty were walking down the street and you said, okay, pick which one do you think is insane, most people probably yeah. wrongly would say Tim Burton. Yeah. Nobody would ever consider an all-American, good-looking guy like Warren Beatty would be... But he is kind of a... Uh, it's like the Patrick Bateman effect. No, it is. Oh. <laughs> I think there is some of that. He is obsessive-compulsive as a director. Mm-hmm. He does like a lot of Kubrick-style takes. He'll do several takes over and over again. He's kind of a perfectionist. And I, I read, too, that he made Madonna gain like 12 or 13 pounds, which is a lot for her. You know, yeah. like her, And she was like in the best shape of her life just coming off the Bond Ambition tour. You know, mm-hmm. remember, you've seen photos with her arms oh, yeah. like ripped. And then he wanted her to be more voluptuous, I think was the words yeah. he was using to to play Breathless, and of course she conceded, you know, because they were dating at the mm-hmm. time, but that was one of the things that she talks about in years later, you know, is like, you know, just kind of how mean he was to her. And yeah. gain all this weight. Did it matter that she was, you know, like she could have been, didn't have to gain, you know, 20 pounds, like, that's a lot for a woman to work off. Oh, it and is. When Madonna was in the height of her career, in the peak of her career. Yeah. And that was a huge marketing angle too for the movie was their relationship mm-hmm. off off screen was oh, Beatty yeah. and Madonna that was everywhere in 1990 yeah <laughs> <laughs> I probably still have some of yeah, the yeah it's a good we just gave a moment to, to respect that like, failed relationship moment of silence moment of silence for yeah. that I would say there's a great podcast that we all love called You Must Remember This. Mm-hmm. Was, was it? Could, Karina Longworth. Karina Longworth. Karina Longworth. It's amazing. But there is a Madonna, it's a two-parter Madonna series, and it does talk heavily about this time in her life during the early 90s, and it talks about her relationship with Beatty and Dick Tracy and that experience. It's really worth a listen. Like, after you oh, listen to so ours, good. go listen yeah. to that as a nice yes, companion definitely. piece to what we're talking about. Yeah. Um, but I know, like, it was almost like, from what I understand, partially they were attracted to each other, partially it was also a good business decision for them, they, for where I they think, were in I their, mean, I think yeah. they were just sleeping together, you know, yeah. cross pay is paid. <laughs> yeah. I mean, compared to, like, the Sean Penn relationship, it was much less tumultuous, you know? <laughs> she was just recently divorced, a huge success in her life, I think she was just having fun. I mean, this mm. good, that would be like if Cary Grant were still alive today, and of reasonable age. And he asked me out. Like, I'd be like, what? This is a no-brainer. Even though he was even known to, he was never abusive, but he, you know, was hard to live with and was very old-fashioned minded. And so it was hard for Mm -hmm. women to be in a relationship with him, which is why he was married so many times. Mm -hmm. But I mean, would I turn that down for a season? Hell no. 
No. It's Cary Grant. I, I wouldn't turn it down. <laughs> hey, it's Cary Grant. You know, it's an exception to every role. But I think that was a lot but... of her mindset, though. I mean, at that point in her life, like, did she really seriously want to marry him or see herself with him? Maybe not, but... It, that brings me to Madonna, too, in general. And, and I've done a 180 with Madonna. Like, I could not stand her in the 90s. Like, I, mean, I really... had heavy discussions about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um... I really didn't, like, I, I just, I think it was around this time when I started to truly hate her, because that's when she was at her most controversial. In my opinion, back then, it was like, all she does is she just wants attention. That's the only reason. She gets all this attention, she does all these shocking, you know, events slash videos just so she can get attention and make money. And I was like, she's not really doing it from a, from a real artist standpoint. And that was Shawn 1990. And through most of the 90s, when she had her baby, I was like, really... Just, like, get this out of my face, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> uh, that was all over the place in 96, I think, when she had the kid. Yeah, that was the ultimate yeah, publicity, that, yeah. right? Bringing life into the world. <laughs> but I, I did a 180. I know, right being <laughs> when I heard Ray of Light, the title track to Ray of Light, for the first time on the radio, and, I'm, and I couldn't, I, I can remember myself, like, I don't want to admit this, but this is a great song. <laughs> this is a really good song. And then I said, okay, I'm going to give her a chance on this one. And I loved the album. And so I started going back to like the '80s stuff, mm-hmm. like the buying the Immaculate Collection and, and you know, kind Which of going through best. all the singles. Yeah. The Immaculate Collection. And I have a lot of nostalgia for the '80s, anyway, as we all know. <laughs> but I mean, I really like Material Girl. That video I used to love as a kid. I started remembering how much I love that, and <laughs> and just those '80s sides and mm-hmm. the, the stuff she did in the late '90s, like yeah. she did mm-hmm. Ray of Light, Beautiful Stranger, I love music. Stranger. Yeah, yeah, that run I think is, is terrific. And so now I've done a complete 180 where I'm a huge Madonna fan. I think she's terrific. I think she's one of the great pop stars of all time. I think I see a lot of people doing watered down Madonna since mm-hmm. Madonna. Like they didn't yeah. have the same. The thing about Madonna too is that, that now we has. can look back and and say this with like full confidence that she was so ahead of her time. You know, if 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 what Madonna did and said back in 1990, you know, talking about things like the sex book and just the just the way that she carried herself and how she was in interviews and everything that was scandalous about her, she would be totally praised now for being this amazing feminist, right? Mm-hmm. In 2018. Oh, yeah. But in 1990, because we weren't ready for that, she was, oh, everybody got shame Madonna because she's a sexual being and she's proud of that and she's a confident woman who's independent and, and can take care of herself and knows what she wants. Um, like, one of her most quotable quotes is something to the effect of I'm strong, I'm confident and I know what I want so if that makes me a bitch then okay mm-hmm. and I think mm-hmm. that says you know, speaks volumes Like, but today I mean, I think she would be so celebrated if she had done the things around that error you know, now um, so it's just interesting to me but I agree there's so many you know, Madonna wannabes out there and she really did pave the way and I think set the standard for the individual female artist you know, you see Lady Gaga kind of doing a lot of taking a lot from Madonna and trying to emulate that, but it's just not quite right. No. And, you know, the the true irony is, too, like, this movie in particular produced one of her biggest hits that wasn't in the movie, mm-hmm. but was inspired by the movie and was added to the soundtrack, which is Vogue. Mm-hmm. Vogue which is my was, all-time yeah. favorite yeah. Madonna song. Can we talk about Vogue? <laughs> yeah, well, go ahead. I knew oh, you my gosh. Know. So, yeah, seriously, guys, Vogue is my one of my all-time favorite songs ever. I mean, I remember having the Immaculate Collection 
growing up as a kid, my dad, we were in like those CD clubs. Do you remember that in the 90s? Like, the oh yeah. <laughs> and my dad always loved Madonna, and so he got a bunch of Madonna albums, but the Mappet collection was my favorite because it had all the hits. And um, Vogue is always my favorite. That music video is just so genius and so artistic and beautiful. Like, I remember watching it, even now, but when I was, you know, six, seven years old, feeling really empowered. Like, I'm a woman. I, there's beauty in that. There's confident, I'm confident about that. There's power in being a woman and how she would, you know, dressed in, like, the masculine clothes and was calling the shots. And um, it's just amazing. If you haven't seen it in a while, revisit it because it's just brilliant. But that, I mean, that music video, I think, shaped a lot of, who I was growing up then and my interest in the arts and in dancing and performing and, and even fashion and cinematography, like every, all the themes that are in that song, the old movies, old Hollywood, these are so representative of who I am. And so that song for me was like this beautiful marriage of my spirit and the spirit of a song. Um, but I mean, I still dance around this very apartment to Vogue <laughs> all the time. It's just my, my yeah. song. Um, which it's your jam. It's my jam. <laughs> it's my jam. But I think I think there's, for me, it's done, it's been such a integral part of I think my development as a young woman and carrying that into developing as a as a lady. Like being that confident and being okay with my sexuality. It doesn't mean that I have to like be slutty or anything like that. But like, I don't know. I I think in so many ways when people tell me that Madonna is like not a good role model. Not only does it just anger me, but I always say, you know, look at Vogue, watch Vogue, listen to the song, listen to what a lot of her music is about. Songs like Express Yourself that are talking about, don't wait if a man doesn't want you first, if he's not going to choose you, move on. You know, you'll find something better. Take care of yourself. You know, express yourself, respect yourself. These are lyrics from that song. So it's like, how can that not be a good role model for young girls? Like, and she's so strong and powerful and is in total control of her life. For me, that was that resonated. I, I was like, wow. Like, What's interesting, too, is the song was going to be a B-side originally. <laughs> when she recorded it, she considered it, mm. it as a B-side, and she took it to the record company and said, no, this is an A-side. Yeah. And they even put it on the um, Breathless album, which accompanied Dick oh. Tracy, so it was added to that. Yeah. So that's not something I don't think a lot of people know, that Vogue is kind of quasi-directly mm -hmm. related to the Dick Tracy whole marketing. That makes sense, though, with with the homage yeah. to the old Hollywood mm -hmm. and the stars and everything. It makes sense. And I, I like yeah. her performance in this movie. Mm -hmm. I think she's yeah. good. She's perfect for mm -hmm. the... Uh, she's kind of doing a, the Finn Fatale, Marilyn Monroe, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. Was Madonna a huge influence for you too, Becky, or are you? Yes. Um, I, my sister is three years older than I am, and she brought me into Madonna. Um, <laughs> I know that, you know, my parents, we were dancing and singing around to Like a Virgin, and I, I don't know what my parents thought about that, because I was, um, you know, re-listening to the I'm Breathless uh sound or music inspired by the dick tracy sound movie it's not really a soundtrack is it i don't know um, i would consider it <laughs> both, both yes and no yeah but you know we had that and um 
just I'm, I'm just trying to remember what my parents did because you know like it it was kind of controversial um mm-hmm. in my household she she had a song called hanky panky on <laughs> the cd and it was about um spanking basically being tied up and getting spanked and I didn't know, <laughs> but but Madonna definitely, you know, in the '80s and, and early '90s, were I mean, she was a big deal for me, and I kind of lost track of her. And then when I got to college, everybody, of course, was was reviving their love of Madonna, and um, it's in the late '90s, yeah. Oh yeah, that's when I did the 180. Yeah, yeah. So. they were coming back to her. Yeah. <laughs> She brought well, everybody and, back. And, well, that's what a good a true artist does. You know, you have your your seasons, and and people rediscover you at different times and stages in their lives. And mm-hmm. like I know, I, I am totally confident that hundred. Well, I don't know, maybe hundreds a little bit of an exaggeration, but at least fifty years from now, Vogue is still going to be one of the best pop songs ever written. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wish that it she, just is. And and I wish that she'd gotten to be herself a bit more in the movie. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah. I, I feel like the performance is is a little muted, um, and it's it's telling to see her, you know, being manhandled by Big Boy, and then, you know, trying to seduce Dick Tracy. It's it's very artificial mm-hmm. and and almost like a parody of the film noir seduction scenes. Yeah, but it doesn't quite get there. Yeah, and and then to see her do the performance of sooner or later at the Academy Awards ceremony. And she just tears it up. I rewatching that was like, why didn't we see that, Madonna? Well, it was directed by a man. One that probably had a strong hand on her. Yeah. No, and I I also think like I agree with Becky though, where this movie could have used more that heightened performance from her. The way I mean, you're working with Al Pacino. For the most part, who chews up scenery like it's bubblegum. I mean, this guy. <laughs> and it's hard for someone like her. I mean, she's working with some massively famous people here, which is great for someone who's trying to break into the movies. Um, but I think she is under underplaying it a bit. And the role is written as kind of a generic femme fatale yeah. character. It yeah. doesn't really give her anything new to bring to the to the table. Yeah, I mean... League of Their Own, she's better in because she's more. She's more yeah. like herself. Yeah. She's spunky and has character, and she was great in Evita too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and actually, what he would say, I don't really see a lot of Madonna in the League of Their Own, which is why it's a great performance. It's more of a mm-hmm. an up, uppity character, mm-hmm. you know, a little more flamboyant. And she was so well paired with Rosie O'Donnell. Too, yeah, she know, was. The two of them kind of bouncing off each other. Like, uh, that was one of the highlights of the movie. Yeah, was their friendship mm-hmm. and that and that, along with John Lovitz. <laughs> 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 no. <laughs> I have to say, Tom, not to get on the side, oh, but Tom Hanks is fucking amazing. I know. Yeah. Gina Davis yeah. was fantastic in this. Oh, yeah. She's yeah. so wonderful. Movie. And Kit? Yeah, Kit. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> Stop when I, when I say, I like the high one. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, like here, Madonna's okay. Like She has zero chemistry with Beatty, actually. That's right, yeah. yeah. They have zero chemistry. He has zero chemistry with anyone. Yeah. <laughs> the, the kid tri- is the, the, the kid. Is the kid. Yeah, the kid. Yeah, he likes the kid. <laughs> Uh, Big Boy has good chemistry with him. Yeah, yeah. The, the few scenes they actually have together. Big Boy crack. Okay. Can we talk about <laughs> yeah, it? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. My goodness. Um, <laughs> the scene where he's teaching uh, Madonna and them to do that more song, and he's <laughs> doing the dance <laughs> on the back. Oh my god. That was the, that's the best scene in the whole movie. 
Oh, it is phenomenal. It is phenomenal. Because <laughs> at the end of it, not only is he teaching them like he's Bob Fosse. Like, this is the thing I love about Big Boy. He's not just concerned about the gangsterism and, like, those antics. He really wants this to be the best possible, most entertaining show imaginable. Like, he is a control freak in every aspect of that organization. He's Warren know? Beatty. Yeah, yeah, he is. He's Warren Beatty in this movie. Uh, but when he does that final dance where he's dancing and sing with them right next oh to Madonna, God. it is hilarious. It is genuinely hilarious. Yeah. Madonna's like, you're not paying me now. <laughs> yeah. And, and he, he expounds on all these various topics and quotes philosophers <laughs> misquotes philosophers uh-huh. he has the most confidence of anybody he's he's like fake it till you make it to the extreme oh. and he made it he's so put <laughs> off that he was someone was trying to frame him for kidnapping tests like i don't know yes. <laughs> yes, i wasn't kidnapping you but now i am he's like he, he doesn't want to be bad but he can't help himself because right. in the last scene he's like it's like, oh, forget, forget you heard I said that. I'm going to kill you, Brady. Oh, forget you. <laughs> Not yeah. Brady, but Tracy. I'm going to kill you, Tracy. No, oh, forget I said that. I didn't say that. Big Boy's such an interesting villain because there's so much self-loathing there, which I think is why he's hunched over half the time. Yeah. You know, because he, he really, he has this unique morality, which I haven't seen in too many villains. He really has, like, these grand ambitions yeah. He really wants to make the world a better place in his own weird way. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, like, he wants to consolidate all the gangsters into one organization. Like, he's tra- basically he's, merging. He's people. Cyrus from the Warriors. Can you <laughs> dig it? They could have controlled the town. They could have. Uh, on a side note, you know, Walter Hill almost directed Dick Tracy. That's uh, Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, seeing... Uh, was it the director's cut of the Warriors where you get to see all the, the cartoon... Yes, um, he wanted to be it wanted to be more like the Untouchables, more realistic. Mm-hmm. But that's not the direction they obviously <laughs> went in. But uh, with Big Boy, now Pacino for a while had taken some time off before this film. He did a movie called Revolution, which was based in the American Revo- the Revolutionary War. I haven't seen it. I can't imagine Al Pacino as one of the founding fathers or anybody <laughs> related to that conflict. But then he took some time off in the 80s and came back with a movie called Sea of Love in 89. John Goodman's in it. I haven't seen it in a long time, but it was a good kind of noirish. It was kind of a smaller film, too, which was kind of cool to see him in. Somebody left a VHS copy of that in my old apartment. Never got around to watching it. I know. It's just one of those things that... <laughs> that's kind of... That's that movie's yeah. legacy, I think. Is I never got around to watching that. It's, it's on the list. <laughs> um, I decided that at some point I'd like to do a podcast just about Madonna's Vogue video. There you go. <laughs> I can't get it We done. can arrange that and make that happen, yeah. too. It's so uh, but, um... This, this is, like, probably his big comeback for a lot of people. The first movie they'd seen Pacino in, and, like, probably some Scarface, mm-hmm. you know, that... Was this big and unrecognizable? Yeah. yeah, he did his own makeup. He he kind of created his <laughs> own <obvious>. makeup. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It is because it doesn't look like anything like the actual big boy. So the green face. They all they all took the cues from him. Like uh, <laughs> I uh, I mean I love the villains in here, but it does yes. ask the question: Is Dick Tracy just doesn't like the foreign people, or <laughs> is he racist? I don't know. Discriminatory. He, he, I, he, the, he doesn't like latex. Well, then you got first. You have the first. You have the the group of the 
Well, number one, this movie sets the record for most James Cagney impersonations in one film. <laughs> right. I mean, it there's does. no... Anybody that's not Big Boy, 88 Keys, but <laughs> Dick Tracy is doing a James Cagney. Like, Itchy and Flattop are indiscernible when they speak. It's just James Cagney talking to you. And especially in that one scene when they're playing poker in the beginning when Flattop comes in and kills them all. And the one guy, he's called the rodent with the nose. There's Little Face the rodent. I think who else is in there? Um, they they all have interest. I had the character. They're only in the movie like five seconds. The one guy, the rodent, who takes the cat. Hey, kitty, kitty! He throws the cat. <laughs> he does not save the cat. Yeah, he doesn't save the cat. And uh, yeah, flat top, itchy. Who are the two main henchmen for Big Boy? Yeah. Yes, Spaldini, played by James Caan, who gets car. car that was classic. Yeah, yeah. Like those two facing off opposite ends of the table. I know, two Corleone brothers going at it again, you know, as other gangsters, you know. And then prune face. Yeah. Flat Top was my favorite. He kind of yeah. looked like a garbage pail kid. Uh, <laughs> oh, yes, he did. I mean, you could tell that everyone was bad by their prosthetics. And, yeah. you know, like when the cops come in to arrest Manless, you know, just, just look at them. Their faces look like a melted wax candle version of Robert Stack. Those are not good guys. You need to watch out, Lips. Well, the actor who played Flattop is William Forsythe, and he was in Raising Arizona. He played John Goodman's partner in that mm. film. And I love Raising Arizona is one of my all-time favorite movies. But here, I think he's great, and I think he's the one that kind of captures the comic strip better than any other character. Flat Top, he's, he's a psychotic. He just shoots everything in sight. Yeah. And he has that yeah. sneer, which is pitch perfect for a villain. He's the one that doesn't yeah. have to play too much to the camera as much as some of the other guys yeah. do. Yeah. Like he's, he's, see you around, Tracy. He's always threatening. <laughs> see you around. <laughs> he's kind of the Joker in this. Yeah. He I is. don't know how Dick Tracy, though, <laughs> imitating the, uh, <laughs> imitating the uh, welfare lady. It's like, that's pretty obvious that it's not the welfare lady. And he's a detective. He's the world's greatest detective. <laughs> he's the world. He's, he's yeah. the greatest detective in the city. He's too he's good at like, heart. Ah, Tracy. Uh... Come on, baby, Tracy. Come on. <laughs> Alright, it looks like she's legit. Let's bring her in. <laughs> the, or- the kid knows right away. Well, he's, yeah. He thinks it's a, he doesn't want to be go he, back to the orphanage. but He's street smart. Yeah. Yeah. I think the best relationship is Kid and Tess Trueheart, and that's the best chemistry. Yeah. Well, I, Kid has good chemistry with Dick too. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. but I like it when I like when they're left together. It's like mm-hmm. you know, I don't like things. Neither do I. Ah, that's a great scene. You want a broken arm? Oh, that's right. cute. I, at the end, I like at the end when him and Dick are riding away, and then he says to Dick, "You know, I'm really starting to like that thing." Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's cute. Yeah. yeah. I wanted to give Tess more of a backstory, so I came up with a whole conspiracy theory that the kid is her biological son oh. and she she had an affair with like the fertilizer man at her flower shop and um you know, she oh. just she needs more of a character. I don't yeah. believe yeah. any of what I'm saying, but it, yeah. it, it's no, nice. I, I want to see this movie now. Yeah, I'll I'll, I'll add something to the director's or a character with a name. I'm at least happy that she has some backbone and that she left Tracy when she called yeah. him a breathless. Mm-hmm. I really, and I remember having a crush mm-hmm. on Tess as a kid, 
I actually prefer Tess to Breathless for some reason. Like, I always like Tess. I like Tess's personality. Yeah, well, Breathless oh. didn't have one. No. <laughs> she just she has a generic femme fatale thing. Right. But, but her outfits were killer. Right, yeah. Her personality <laughs> yeah. was blank. I'll take everything on those <laughs> No, come put it in the blank. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, how fitting. She was yeah. in blank. But, Is that um, your favorite outfit when she was the blank? <laughs> <laughs> Why well, didn't... Not only that... With two nostrils and no face. <laughs> um... But with Tess, like, uh, the, the actress is Glenn Headley, who's a really good actress. She, she's one of those recognizable faces you see a lot. But she was cast because Sean Young was originally Tess Trueheart. was originally cast, but she didn't get along with Beatty. Mm. So they fired her. This is the second comic book movie because Sean Young was going to play Vicki Vale. Wow. And had been cast as Vicki Vale. She was cast in both movies, but was she was in a horse riding accident on Batman. So they had to replace her immediately with oh. Kim Basinger. And in this one, she just didn't get along with Beatty, and she was recast with Glenn Headley. And then she tried to audition for, memorably, for Catwoman. Like, she showed up at the studio dressed as Catwoman and scared a lot of people, scared Tim Burton. (laughs) So they they had to kick her off set. It was a really crazy, if you look up, Sean Young. She's best known probably for Blade Runner nowadays as, like, the the main. And and she was in a movie called Stripes with Bill Murray. Oh my god! She played. She was Detective Einhorn in Ace Ventura. Yes, yeah. that's exactly what it is. Yeah, so she, she was able to be kind of intimidating looking. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I agree. You can scare Tim Burton. Then. Yeah, Good you can you. scare Tim Burton. You're 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 on a roll. But uh, so they brought in Glenn Headley, who was in Dirty Rotten Scoundrels and a few other movies. Mm-hmm. But yeah. she's terrific in the movie. I yeah. think. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I like Tess. I I I read some articles where they said that. Tess and Breathless were kind of the Madonna horror complex on film a little bit too much. Yeah. Like that Tess is waiting for... This one article I disagree with where they said that she was somebody who was waiting for Tracy to save her and trying to force Tracy to be like, to get a desk job which she did. Except I think Tess also was very independent. She didn't want to get married necessarily. She She always said, I like like living alone. And she's tough. I mean, they actually wanted to add a baseball scene where they went to a baseball game with the kid. And you could see how much Tess knew about baseball. And I'm like, that could have, should have been in the movie in a way, because yeah. you should see that she's yeah. tough. And that's why Tracy likes her, is because they have yeah. a lot in common. And she's more, when she gets kidnapped, she's not screaming. She's more annoyed by it than anything. <laughs> oh, I like that interpretation, because I was disappointed she, she was silent throughout but i guess maybe just long suffering like waiting yeah, out this yeah. chatty villain like she oh probably, god that before Vic tracy's right or, or she could be like well what do i have to live for tracy wins breathless just kill me no i'm just teasing just, that's not who she is no 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 but some people criticize saying that that's what she was like she was just waiting for tracy to save her i'm like well number one and she the, was waiting on batman yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then Michael Keaton comes in. Wrong set. Yeah, exactly. Did no, what would be best is if Christian Bale from the future came in. Yeah. All the Batman, Ben Affleck's Batman. Right. Oh, can you imagine that in this movie? The Bat Squad. Yeah. Oh my God. Now, did you notice that um, Dick Tracy and Tess Trueheart never kiss? They just mm-hmm. do chaste hugging, like mm-hmm. in a high school musical. Mm-hmm. They do. <laughs> Even when he, he proposes, he it's like, dude, you got one second. You're going to toss me in the ring, bo- ring, ring box and then run out the restaurant? You have one second to come over here and kiss me. Yeah, he only kisses... Breathless twice. Yeah. <laughs> I get to say, yeah, and... <laughs> I, I, number one, I think it's Chase because it's a Disney film. I'm sure that's the main <laughs> reason. 
number two, though, I also get the sense that, that Tracy and Tess have been a couple for a long time. Like, they're used to each <laughs> other. Because they, they're so comfortable with each other at that point. Yeah, but I yeah. don't care. If you marry me... You asked me to marry you, and you're going to throw a ring at me. You better please give me a kiss. Okay? I mean, that's not your wedding Yes, I realize I am. You better go over It is the worst proposal ever made on film. I'm going to beat up some ugly criminals, but before I do that, I'm going to throw this ring at you. I can go to Death's job. Did you see how much fun it was beating up that tramp guy? <laughs> These ugly ass guys. Tracy is a fascist. I mean, he beats up homeless people. You know, there's no sympathy for if you're ugly in this town, you're clearly evil, and they don't give you any other perspective on that. Like, (laughs) you think broom face is like my face is like a broom. That's right. I'm gonna be a crime boss. I was born into it. But hell, I mean, broom face man, (laughs) he's got a hell of a voice though. I mean, he's got a. I'm gonna rub him out. He has his dirty lingo down pat, and he's the one guy that stands up to big boy too. He's not intimidated by. I like to see if he just takes long baths. That's his, that's the reason for his face. He submerges his. I said face. to Scott, I think it's kind of ironic that his name is Big Boy because he is clearly the tiniest person on the planet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure Madonna was even taller than him. I had to been. I mean, and they play up that size differential. Uh, but Little Face is the the hardest. I mean, that like this is is probably bigger head is a better name for this guy because it's. Now hit his wait, wait, wait. Is his, <laughs> is his head supposed to be normal size and his face is small, or is he have a huge head and his face? Okay, is ideally, he, ideally, I think little face is supposed to have a normal sized yeah. head with comments. a little face. <laughs> oh my god, that's terrible. <laughs> oh, no. No. They, they make a little face people look like little face. Um, so. The problem with the movie is it's clearly um, like they guess they put this massive head over a little kid and dubbed the voice in for <laughs> Little Face because he couldn't oh find a way to do it. <laughs> um, <laughs> Tony went down that loop of oh, celebrity. Tom Hanks is Little Face. Oh, that's goodness. disturbing. Yeah. On so many it's so unnerving. <laughs> it is. <laughs> Speaking of David Lynch, I've already been lin- out lynched by these little face. Who, who, who is the ugliest? The tramp's pretty ugly, I would say. Yeah. Oh my god, John Goodman has little face. Oh. Um. Oh my god, we need to make a calendar. <laughs> no, people. <laughs> oh my god. So, uh, the opening segment where you have all those characters, I guess they were all ultra popular villains in the Dick Tracy mm-hmm. comic book. It was. Was the brow, the brow, shoulders, <laughs> shoulders? <laughs> I like to be a comic book. Okay, we need more body parts that are like shoulders. Let's have the toe. Yeah, the, t- the toe. There's uh, um, was the rodent? The rodent was in. Yeah, that's think, the guy that goes, "Hey, get it, get it!" Yeah, and he just throws a cat across the room because he looks like a rodent. You get it, right? Like that's the, the third James Cagney impersonation. And then there's the stooge. And then there's <laughs> there's no he's just a stooge. No, and I think the brow was like the one I yeah, always brow was, yeah was, was great. But I, I remember I got pissed as a kid when they were all killed off. Like I want those villains in the movie. Those are really I cool. Little like, faces. They don't have special abilities though. They're just, <laughs> they're just, they're just special needs. Yeah. <laughs> well, you got the action figure. Like flat top, the, his deformity has nothing to do with his ability. He's just has a he's just a 
the greatest Tommy gun artist in the in the city. Oh, know. this movie made me obsessed with Tommy guns too. Yeah, and fedoras, like you know, Tommy I just, guns like, and fedoras and diners. <laughs> Those are the three things: diners, Tommy guns, and fedoras. But um, yeah, like really I've, made me obsessed with the primary colors. Yes, right. yes, easily. And the reason that there were so many villains is because. In the comics, he would only face one villain at a time. Like, he would only be up against Pruneface. He would only be up against Flattop. But he was afraid he would never be able to make a sequel, so he crammed all the villains into one movie. They all became stenchmen, essentially, for Big Boy, one way or another. And... I'm like, if you're gonna make a sequel, you didn't have any characters left because you killed them all off in this movie. <laughs> You'd have I to was, relocate to a yeah. new city. I was watching this, and like, this would be a great if someone rebooted, uh, not did a remake, but did a Dick Tracy like Netflix series would be awesome. Oh yeah, that would be fun. And you could do you concentrate on you know a villain. <laughs> that would be a lot of fun. Yeah, I was reading that Chester Gould um, used real life character or real life. Um, famous figures as inspiration like Mumbles apparently was based on Bing Crosby (laughs) which uh, doesn't quite come across in in Hoffman's performance (laughs) but that's good I mean he's he's not supposed to be a crooner I also read that Hoffman took cues from Robert Evans the producer for playing Mumbles so that was kind of his like impersonation of Bob Evans (laughs) not Bob Evans the restaurant Robert Evans the uh, um I love Hoffman's performance in this movie, by the yeah. way. I think it's... So I was looking up some of the names for other Dick Tracy villains. You have Bookie Joe. You have Whip Shoot. You know, Mr. Natness. You have... Uh, little Face, his last name is Finney. It's little, little Face Finney is the full name. Oh. The Mole. BB Eyes. Tiger Lily. Mrs. Pruneface Booch. <laughs> There's a Mrs. Wait. Pruneface in the comics. Uh, Shaky Trembly is one. Oh, oh my goodness. Gargles. <laughs> Coffee Head. <laughs> Coffee Head. Mrs. Volts. Pear Shaped Tone. <laughs> Sketch Paree. Wormy Marins. <laughs> Wow. The King. Finally, somebody that has just there a kind of a go. normal. Uh, new Suit Nan. <laughs> okay, New Suit Nan needs to be in the movies. I haven't seen a picture <laughs> of New Suit Nan. but uh, This is what I want to be like. Breathless, just wearing this outfit and carrying champagne and right. two glasses like it ain't nobody's business. <laughs> Mrs. Volts, was she into electricity or was she just German? I was wondering. Like, There's a couple Volts in here, actually. Uh there's also Flyface. Oh, no. <laughs> Flyface. Now you're just getting generic, like, okay, what can we yeah. find that could be a face? Well, they, they tried Mosquito to... Mosquito head. <laughs> they tried to get um, relevant, and I guess in the 60s or 70s, introduced <laughs> some hippie characters. Um, like Groovy Grove, I think, was, uh, existed. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I read that one of the sequels that Disney planned for this movie, when they were talking about possible sequels, somebody had actually read the script that... Dick Tracy was going to be settled, married to Tess, and Dick Tracy Jr. was going to be living there. <laughs> um, and he would be fighting beatniks. A gang of beatniks would In be like his. The 60s? Yeah, like the 50s and 60s. Oh my gosh. I mean, I can't. Oh, I, the dialogue. <laughs> I know, oh my god. Dialogue would be unbearable. You know. Um, so that's uh, so that would be it. So man, I mean, those, those villain names are 
yeah, Chester Gold and whoever else was writing the comic just let's just take any sort of random what could be a, an ugly face <laughs> you know mm-hmm. yeah they're they're remarkable I think they make the Dick Tracy like he's a private he's a dick yeah. in so many different ways yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh is his real name Richard? Richard Tracy probably <laughs> yeah I'm assuming yeah I don't know if he's ever gone by. No one even calls him Dick usually in the movie. They call him Tracy the whole yeah. time. Even Tess calls him Tracy. Yeah, yeah. Even his oh. girlfriend calls him by his last name. Yeah, because Dick was, um, you know, the the slang term for detective mm-hmm. when the comics came out. But mm-hmm. yeah, it's kind of like when you uh, have a dean of school who's actually named Dean. Yeah, did, yeah. did that happen? Yeah, on- <laughs> you have Sam Ketchum as one of the other. <laughs> And uh, catch him and Pat Patton, yeah, who's the guy that jumps on that thing that sends Rick Tracy up? What about Har Hardy? <laughs> he's probably he's, he's not shown in the movie, but he's for sure he's there. He's uncredited. <laughs> well, so, so what do you guys think of the costuming in this film? I think it's pretty oh, extraordinary. Wow. Yeah. I guess the costume designer and her name eludes me, but I know she was. She did the, the costumes for The Shining and A Clockwork Orange and Barry Lyndon, and a few Wes Anderson films subsequently, like oh, The Grand Budapest. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, all the color schemes. I'm sure Wes Anderson watched Dick Tracy. Goes, that's what I want for my movies. <laughs> Mine is Warren Beatty. <laughs> <laughs> he hasn't had Warren Beatty yet. No, no, he hasn't. That needs to happen probably at some point. Um. And the costumes, I think, um, show us something about the characters besides the the different colors. Um, You know, I think Breathless is the only one who gets satin and reflective material. And Mm -hmm. she becomes a little more real in that way. She has, like, frizzy hair. She has texture that the other characters don't have. It it almost makes her vulnerable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she's got that beautiful, striking blonde, curly hair. She does. Tess has red hair, though, like pretty vivid red hair. And mm-hmm. I read in the comics, Tess originally w- was a blonde, uh, but because Madonna was cast as breathless and being blonde ambition mm-hmm. being part of her brand, you can't really change that at that yeah. time. So they made tre- Tess a, a redhead because I guess Beatty's mother had red hair, and Shirley MacLaine, who's his sister, had red hair. So he, <laughs> that's kind of disturbing now that I think yeah. about it, that he, he is not going to give the girlfriend that I end up marrying. Well, I think it was good, though, because it made her hair stand out. You know, yeah. You know, yeah. The two of them had both, you know, because I feel like brown is, is a very common hair color. I mean, blonde is, too. Red's a little bit more unique than the three of them. But, but Madonna's hair, in this, in this dark world, that yellow is just so vivid. It is. Yeah. And I know uh, Glenn Headley's, I guess her hair is naturally blonde, ironically, that, you know, she could have played Tess in the comics just based on her hair, but because anyone to contrast her with Madonna, they they gave her red hair, which works really well, I I think, for outfits, too. Yeah. Yeah. Red and yellow catch a fellow. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Red and yellow for sure. That's (laughs) red and yellow as it gets. It it was like being at McDonald's all the time. (laughs) It was. I wonder if Tracy would blind her when he came in the room, too. You know, all the lights are off, and all of a sudden this bright yellow jacket's heading towards you. It would be kind of frightening, I think. You can't really hide from criminals with the way he dresses. Yeah. yeah. How do you go undercover in that outfit? He does Everything's, like, brute. Like, he just walks out. There's one where he's just walking down the street with a Tommy gun. Well, he uses the trench coat to great effect in that scene where he puts it on... Uh, 
a dummy or whatever it was, and they see the coat and they shoot yes. it out. Oh, tricky. Yeah, they can use it to his yeah. Tricky dicky. <laughs> um, I was going to say, too, uh, there's some other performances. Dick Van Dyke is in this film. He's amazing. Yeah, he's terrific. He only has a couple scenes. I'm I always... so excited when I saw that it was Dick Van Dyke. Yeah, he's yeah. he's great. And this is not a character he normally plays. This is like a... Yeah, that evil guy. Yeah. He's on a take. His color scheme is green as we talked for money and greed. Yeah. And he has a nice little uh, glasses or... <laughs> yeah, the little specks. Yeah. yeah, he has a he has an interesting scene where it's revealed that he's on a take because it's just him standing there over the shoulder and you just see Big Boy and his henchmen walking towards him talking and they just walk right by him to a car. So I'm like... <laughs> like, out of this... <laughs> A normal human interaction. How does it start? Do they just walk all the way down to the end and then walk back and talk to him and walk by him? I don't know. You would think he'd be walking with them? I don't know. And he doesn't say a word during that. Yeah, he doesn't say a word. He just turns around and they just walk right by him. It reveals to us, the audience, who it is. But not, yeah. but not to them. They knew who it was. You know. That's funny. But it's just very, that's, that's a very stylistic movie scene that, that never would happen in real life. No. But, yeah. but it's, I still enjoy it. I enjoyed it, yeah. yeah. It was fun. Yeah, it's just yeah. made for the comics. Yeah, exactly. It's just like... I like the graveyard scene. It really looks like a painting. Yeah. Like, you know, with the moon mm-hmm. so bright and the stars and it... Yeah. yeah. It really looks, like, otherworldly. Yeah, those those matte <laughs> overlays just... I, I didn't understand it as a kid. Um, <laughs> and I think that, that kind of put me off when I saw it in the theaters. Because I was so excited. I thought, oh, this is going to be like Who Framed Roger Rabbit. It opened with a Who Framed Roger Rabbit short. Mm. Oh, and then, it did. And then I just, you know, I, I was like, I know this is beautiful, but I don't understand what they're doing. <laughs> Thank God I hadn't seen, like, German Expressionism. Yeah. <laughs> um, but seeing it now, it's just, it's glorious. Yeah. The, the train really chase sequence where um, he's he's running after the kid for the first time. Oh, it's yeah. it's a beautiful set. I like the kid. Oh, it, I feel like I've seen the kid since then. I <laughs> remember reading the reviews. Um of this movie at the time, like Roger Ebert, and he just kept praising the set design and everything. Like, and I kept thinking, why aren't you talking about Little Face and the Brow? <laughs> and I got really mad when he wasn't talking about the specific characters. I'm sure he doesn't, he doesn't remember anything in that of that regard. He just remembers, I liked how this movie looked and what they were trying to do creatively. Um, but yeah, it, it, you know, German expressionism. I remember on the Batman podcast, Scott and my friend Josh Greenwald riffed on German expressionism like I think they do a good job already of expressing themselves they don't have to we don't necessarily need more German expressionism yeah remember what happened in the 30s you know it's like okay granted that's probably not the expression we need but but it's actually a movement that's in the movement like the doctor I think it's the the cabinet of Dr. Caligari Tim Burton's heavily influenced by German Mm -hmm. expressionism Batman obviously with that uh, that was big in the late 80s. Like, every comic book movie, like, I want my German expressionist. <laughs> yeah. Now it's just all about painful childhood flashbacks. Yeah. Gritty realism. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Although it's going back, like, that's one thing. This movie was ahead of its time. 
Um, oh, that's <laughs> Tony's showing us a picture of Ruffless. No, Ruffless Why wasn't that in the movie? You're spooning. Clearly having a lot of fun on the set with with them. Um, but this movie, like in the '90s, when they made comic book movies, they actually went out of their way to make it look like a comic book mm-hmm. in some ways. Like they didn't want to give you pure reality. Color. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there, and there probably wouldn't be like Sin City or the Three Hundred, any mm-hmm. any Frank Miller inspired business without this movie. No, no, this is this has a charm of like the '30s, like those old comic strips from the 1930s, mm-hmm. which I kind of like. But I feel like it's going back to that a little bit because if you look, look at the Marvel Cinematic Universe films, they started off as somewhat realistic with Iron Man. There were no aliens or anything that was kind of outrageous. Now we have Infinity War when you have them going into space and different realms. And so it seems like it's circling back into more comic book. Yeah, movie. it's like the colors are... I mean, that's the thing the Marvel movies have always had. They've had more color and yeah, palette. You know, it's a colorful. Their their heroes are very, you know, a lot of reds. They're bright. You know, they don't wear. Batman's dark, so it's a good contrast to mm-hmm. to a lot of the. I mean, Superman's obviously, but the way they do Superman is different. It is. Yeah, <laughs> he's a dark blue. He's not a, like a bright blue. Weirdly, Zack Snyder, who definitely took probably cues from movies like Sin City and Dick Tracy with his movies. Yeah. He moved into more of a gritty realism. Like, I know he loves Frank Miller and The Dark Knight mm-hmm. Returns and, and The Watchmen. And then he got criticized for being, not maybe so much realistic, but too gritty and dark. Mm-hmm. And the Marvel films get praised for being kind of light, <laughs> you know, <laughs> optimistic, I guess. You know, quippy. <laughs> a lot of quips. Oh, yeah. Um... <laughs> And so that, that's been kind of it. But I would like to see what they would do if you could make a Dick Tracy film now, if it would go mm-hmm. over well or, or people would like maybe dismiss it. Like, is it I something that would... I think it would depend would... on how it was made. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I yeah. think, yeah, a little more tongue-in-cheek, I think it could do very well. Yeah, this I think this one was pretty tongue-in-cheek, especially Al Pacino's... <laughs> <laughs> performance was just so over the top, you know, and he was having fun clearly right. just being bad and I mean he, <laughs> he doesn't even chew scenery even when he's not saying anything he's chewing scenery. I mean when that when that, that coffee's coming out he's like yeah. <laughs> he's like a little bird. <laughs> he's like what <laughs> you know. Yeah, I, I I love Pacino. He's actually one of my favorite actors. I kind of enjoy... I think that what's happened subsequently with Pacino is that he's been doing that over-the-top character for so long that people got tired of it very quickly. Mm-hmm. That they kind of long for uh, the earlier Pacino of the 70s that was a much more subdued, grittier actor, you know, from the Godfather films and Dog Day Afternoon. Serpico. Serpico, yeah. Alec Baldwin does a whole routine of, of 70s Pacino versus current Pacino. <laughs> yeah. I like Scott's idea. I think Dick Tracy would make a really good like Netflix series. Yeah, mm-hmm. like well produced. Mm-hmm. You know, good character actors. You know, good cinematography, excellent costumes and set design. Yeah, yeah. sort of like Twin Peaks esque. Yeah, yeah it's yeah, very definitive and distinctive. Yeah, I think it would be great because there's so many characters, mm-hmm. and then Dick Tracy. I mean, if you cast them well, it mm-hmm. carry for a whole, a whole series. So I think that would be an interesting. I don't know if they'd ever do it, but mm-hmm. that, that would be... 
Dick 2.0. Dick would, yeah. would you keep, uh, would, would Beatty stay in it? It would, be, <laughs> it would be hard to take the rights away from him. He's going to make another spite interview on yeah. TCM. So this is one of the rights to Dick Tracy? Yes, this is, this, is, this is what I was leading into. Warren Beatty has held on to the Dick Tracy rights since the movie came out, and they were going to make a CW show. Mm. Similar to what Scott was describing, but Beatty wanted to maintain the, the rights to the character because he's still, I guess, in his mind thinking he's going to make a sequel to Dick Tracy. <laughs> so, in order to maintain the rights, he had to do something with the character. So, in 2010, <laughs> and I discovered this for research, he made a 30 minute Dick Tracy special where he played Dick Tracy oh, in the trench coat. Yes. yes, yes, and oh my god! That, the only reason that special was made is so he can retain the rights wow. to the character. <laughs> so he had Leonard Moulton, of all people, interviewing him for 30 minutes about as Dick Tracy with all the serials that were made in the 1930s of Dick Tracy, all the actors who played him, and everything. It was crazy. <laughs> That's that's bizarre. I know that's what they did with the the Fantastic Four. They wanted to hold on to the rights of the Fantastic Four, so they made that terrible Fantastic Four movie. I don't know whatever company it was. The Roger Corman. Yeah, in the nineties, and so yeah, people do weird. By the way, when you specify terrible Fantastic Four movie, you have to Uh, specify first terrible, (laughs) the the definitive terrible Fantastic Four movie, the one that all terrible movies. Begin and end. Yeah, I don't know that use it or lose it should uh, guide artistic choices. No, no, no. I don't understand why Beatty would hold on. At this point, he's 80 years old. What's he going to do with the character, even even as a director now? You know, he's wait. I mean, if you were going to make a sequel to Dick Tracy, the 90s would have been an ideal time to do it when people it was fresh in people's minds. Uh, I say give it. Yeah, there's got to be somebody that would love to do a Dick Tracy. I mean, everyone. Yeah. Er, there's so much room for everything now. I'm sure you could easily throw a Dick Tracy show. I would actually really like to, speaking of comics, I would like to do a family circle. A movie? Everybody's <laughs> <laughs> like, give me this, like, deer in headlights. Yeah. that classic comic, family circle. Yes, oh, yeah. yes. <laughs> you know, I know you're joking. I don't <laughs> remember the movie idea. version of that. There's That's, an idea. Yeah. yeah. Well, we're on it now. That's going to be my break in the, in, the, in, the, in the industry is doing a family circle. Jeff Daniels would be great in it as oh, the dad. Yes. Oh, yeah. Who, who would be PJ and Jeffy? Oh, that's a good question. Who would be the mom? I remember the mom most distinctly. Beautiful right? <laughs> I'm kidding. That's her break. Maybe like four years ago. <laughs> that could be her return to the spotlight. Would be family circle movie. Oh, Chili Long in the Brady Bunch movie somewhere. Yes, she's like the ideal mom. <laughs> yeah. Well, we should give a shout out to Charlie Corsmo. I think yeah. Tony mentioned him earlier. Uh, the kid. Yeah. Does a great I job. I love the kid. This is the best movie. It's better than Hook. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he, he's good. He's a good child actor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, now well, he's a lawyer. Oh. Yeah. Yes, I hear he's very conservative too. That's oh. what they say he's a Republican. Oh, and that's troubling for well. Sean. <laughs> Not troubling for the. For me. I, you know, I don't hold it against. It depends on how you are, I guess, a Republican versus that yeah. you're a Republican. Probably rebelling against all the Hollywood father figures he worked with. I know. That's true. Yeah. I mean, Warren Beatty is as liberal as it gets, so that's probably why he went the other. Direction. This is how this guy operates, and this is how he votes. Then maybe I should go. The opposite direction. I was convinced that he was 
every in every child role in the early to mid 90s like i had the mandela effect that he was in parenthood and like he, he could have been in like now and then and in all the female roles like i don't know just like charlie cosmos and everything for two years I have read. <laughs> I feel like maybe he and Macaulay Culkin were probably competing for roles too. I'm sure they were at the same auditions <laughs> yeah. for every film. Because uh, I guess Macaulay Culkin was offered the kid, oh. but he said he'd rather do Home Alone. Which was better for <laughs> <laughs> Like, well. Macaulay. Yeah, solid choice. <laughs> yeah, the movie that'll define me for the rest of my life is the one I want to do. Good choice. Good choice. Uh, Cosmo, he was in Hook. And I think he made some, I just read, he made some movie I totally forgot about, Getting Even with Dad. I remember that. It had Ted Danson yeah. with a ponytail. Yeah. Oh, it was bizarre. Yeah. Like, I wanted to wipe it from my memory and I saw Ted Danson's hair. I was like, <laughs> Well, he was great. He returned in Can't Hardly Wait, which is, is one that oh, yeah. is, is dear to my heart. Right place at the right time. Mm-hmm. How do you compare him to, let's say, Macaulay? I think that's a fair assessment because they were both kind of contemporaries, child actors. I think Korsman might be have more range than mm-hmm. Culkin, like because he played the tough kid. It seemed like Korsman yeah. got the troubled tough kids, and Macaulay Culkin got all the nice, well-adjusted kids. Yeah, I think, and and I I think that might be why he wasn't made out to be a child star. I, I think he could he could feel things deeply. I, you know, Charlie, if you're listening, I hope that's true. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you're very well adjusted. Well, I know he t- teaches at Case Western now, yeah. so you probably will hear this, you know. Charlie! <laughs> you're adorable. Um, anything else you guys want to mention about the uh, characters or... Oh, I do want to mention the songs by Stephen yes. Sondheim. <laughs> Uh, Steven Sondheim is who's a yeah. <laughs> Do you guys like for you, Madge? <laughs> oh. <laughs> Do you guys like the songs? Of course, movie? I think they're yes. amazing. Yes. Yeah, I I love them and um, the I'm Breathless soundtrack or tape again. Um, you know, you really got to hear the his his expertise with pastiche and and doing all of these throwback styles. It's and and hi to Mandy Patinkin too. I, I can't believe I forgot to mention yeah. him earlier. Yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah he yeah. actually has a, a, an interesting character arc in this movie because eighty eight keys. He's just a piano player in the beginning, but then he gets more and more involved in the uh, the scheme with the blank mm-hmm. and and everything. He's got a great voice too, but it's more of an operatic kind yeah. of pure voice. Oh, the the duet. What can you lose? Is just achingly beautiful. A lot of people yeah. acclaim that song as mm-hmm. like their favorite from the film as a duet with Madonna and Maddie It's like, him. you know, it, here I am in defense mode again, but when people say Madonna can't sing, it's like, have you seen Dick Tracy? Yeah, she's yeah. nailed it. I mean, it's amazing. Her voice is so beautiful, so strong. I feel like her, her work in this movie gets overlooked by her own fans. Like, they always mm-hmm. focus on The Lake of Virgin Era or Ray of Light, and that mm-hmm. stuff deserves a t- recognition, but I feel like they always dismiss, maybe because it's part of a Dick Tracy soundtrack, people go, oh, that's just a soundtrack, a soundtrack stuff. Soundtrack. I think this is some of the best work, and she loved it, too. She mm-hmm. said this was her favorite album to work on. It was on Breathless, because mm-hmm. she loved singing. She thought it was a, a challenge mm-hmm. to sing yeah. these songs. Mm-hmm. But I think sooner, sooner or later and more, I think they're all great pastiche mm-hmm. works. But they don't feel like pastiche. They feel like actual 
legitimate standards. Yeah. You know, you wouldn't know they weren't standards from yeah. the Great American Songbook. Yeah, you wouldn't. Yeah, and she. Uh... Unless George Gershwin said so. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and there's a lot of Gershwin nods from Elfman in this. That oh, yeah. Outside of the Batman motifs, <laughs> he does bring in some Gershwin with the love themes and yeah, stuff. Yeah, the sweeping orchestrals, my God. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it gave her confidence to do Evita. Because mm-hmm. she did these and then she can do a full musical. And, you know, enough said there, right? <laughs> have you guys heard the entire album um, Breathless not like yes. not from start to finish in its entirety uh, you yeah I, I listened to it again I mean I owned the cassette tape when I was a kid and um, listened to it twice this past week yeah. and it was just like there's just incredible range on on every track um, and I, I also read that Madonna started smoking um, in preparation for this, she ruined <laughs> wow. herself for this role. Wow. I know, yeah. like 20 pounds. pounds? Oh, what did you do to her, Warren? Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure smoking with a relationship with Warren Beatty was probably helpful too. Uh, I always loved Sooner or Later and More. I think those are great songs in the movie. Sooner or Later, like Becky mentioned earlier, at the Academy Awards it won Best Song, mm-hmm. Best Original Song. This actually won three Academy Awards of the film. And that was one of this them. This was the same year she went with Michael Jackson. Yes, this is the exact Brown. same year. Mm-hmm. And she did a performance of Sooner or Later that mm-hmm. is killer that everyone should check out. I think she it's a longer version, too. It's like almost mm-hmm. five or six minutes long. And she just vamps it up and does different variations on the song. So I think if you're a fan of this film, you need to see that clip. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. as well as the weird... Warren Beatty special <laughs> that was created to retain the rights. Oh my god! Uh, so the total opposites, artistically <laughs> speaking, those two clips. But uh, Madonna benefited more from the the rub of Dick Tracy than Warren Beatty did. <laughs> Warren Beatty's performance, and Becky said this earlier. It feels like a kid who's doing a a, a paper for a literature <laughs> class that dresses up like that character and thinks he's doing a great job. I, I was that kid, by the way. <laughs> I was too. I was too. I dress, hey, I did dress like Dick Tracy as a kid, apparently. Yeah. I should have done that special. I should have gone out my, my... I should have played Dick Tracy. I want to play like Dick and Tess's kid. Oh, yeah, the kid. Like the lady detective. Oh, oh the, the, yeah, the child of Dick Tracy. Wouldn't that be fun? Yeah. Oh, Tony, you were born to be in a Dick Tracy movie. <laughs> Are you being serious? <laughs> Both joking and seriously, you know, in a good way. I meant as a compliment. Like you would have, you would have caught in the tone of Dick Tracy. I could be the girl kid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would be one of the villains, <laughs> sitting hair and makeup for two hours, no, twenty hours. I like to play Mike, the guy who owns the diner and gives Tracy <laughs> hell yes. whenever he comes in. Oh, Sean can, or Scott can play Mumbles. Mumbles <laughs> This this movie did like I I always like, when I envisioned myself like I'd love to live in this world. I remember as a mm-hmm. kid thinking that. But one of the things I want to do I don't want to fight the gangsters. I just want to hang out with Tess at a diner <laughs> and eat chili that's labeled chili and everything. It's okay, like, here, like, here we go. And now I have steak and shake, so it's, it's been fulfilled. I can know? be Tony Trueheart Tracy. Oh, okay, there you go. Yeah, she would definitely hyphen. Yeah, yeah, she would hyphen. Yeah, she would. I just want a polar bear water dispenser. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh. With a with a tape recorder in it. What a, what a nicely placed spigot. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I don't think Dick Tracy would go well in this climate, though. This movie, I can imagine like. 
you know, Dick, you really should not be shooting these people. They're right. conflicted with wrong, you know? I wonder if that's the water torture that they thought in the 90s. Oh, Dick Tracy, where they just, you, you bait someone with water and you give it to them if they give you the information you want. But it has to come from a polar bear. Oh, they, you know, if you, they, they torture mumbles in this movie. They do. It is police torture. Does it want to speak up? Yeah. I like how they bring in... I, I don't understand, like, the words and stuff in there, because they bring in Itchy, bring in itchy and Flattop, and they come in and like, ah, oh, crazy, you're barking up the wrong tree or something. And they're like, ah, oh, get them out of here. <laughs> like, what the fuck would bring them in? They're... <laughs> It doesn't make any sense. It was they just sat down, they take quips, and then they left. Like, yeah, it was a useless exercise, but he abused the hell out of mumbles. That's that's it's a yeah. power play right there. Like, that like hot light. Yeah. He knew he wasn't getting anything out of Flat Top because Flat Top was vicious. Like, he just looks like he's going to kill Tracy. There's a lot of that in this movie where he'd like arrest them and they can't, obviously, because it's corrupt. They know? did try to bribe him. You know, Big yes. Boy did try to bribe him and he refused it. And Big Boy was really excited to have him on his side, too. It's yeah. Like, you go, just let people know I'm in charge. <laughs> We're okay. Every time we keep talking about flat top, I just can't stop thinking about the Rolling Stones. And I'm like, flat top, flat top, flat top, flat top. From no. What? Oh, oh you're thinking of shattered. Oh, yeah, shattered. I didn't know you were saying flat top. I thought you were just saying flat top, flat shattered top. very fast. <laughs> shattered. <laughs> Mick Jagger would have been a perfect Tracy villain, too. Oh <laughs> he as himself. As himself. Just, just bring him in there. He, would, he could have been one of the beatniks that beats up Tracy. Right. And that. It could have been led by Mick Jagger. He's not really a Actually, beatnik. Actually, he but. would be, if we remade that movie, or if we did some kind of, you know, revamping of it, reviving of it, he would be the breathless character. Oh, yeah. <laughs> or a big boy doing the now, now, Keith Richards would be one of the villains. He'd be one of the flat-top bitchy characters, for sure. <laughs> Tracy. Uh, he could be prune-faced without the makeup, for sure. <laughs> Actually, no, he would just be mumbles. Mumbles. Yeah, he'd be mumbles. Big <laughs> Tracy would have hated the Rolling Stones more than any other human being is alive. He would have just despised those guys. It wasn't a great And Mick Jagger can try and seduce me. <laughs> there you go. Oh, Tracy. <laughs> uh, so what do you guys think overall about the movie? Does it hold up for you? Uh, would you recommend it today to anybody, you know, wanting to check out a 90s comic book movie? Uh, well... I, I love it. I grew up, you know, when we saw it, and uh, it, it was a big movie. I don't know why. It, was, it, it got a lot of hype for a comic strip that I don't think a lot of people were reading at the time. But uh, it was a huge deal. I had all the action figures. I had Dick Tracy fever. And <laughs> that sounds terrible now. <laughs> like a real ailment. Well, you said Dick fever. That Dick might have been. Fever. I got, yeah. I got the fever. Dick fever. And you're like, um, Dick Tracy's day. okay. I think we would understand. I don't know. It, it captured a 10 year old's imagination. Uh, I think it was like the prime. It, everything was this direct. You know, they, they're named what they are. You know, big boy, you know, flat top, Dick Tracy. Everybody was named what their attributes were. The primary colors, the way. It was very stylistic and interesting, so I, I, I watched it again, and uh, still, this is a very fun movie. It's directed, I think, the direction I love, um, and the performances are good. I mean, I, I like Warren Beatty, but I can definitely see, if you're not a Warren Beatty, if it, he's, he's a, you know, if you're not a big Warren Beatty person, you're probably not going to feel that, but uh, I love it. It's one of it's. One of my fondest movie memories, for sure, as a kid. Thank you for that concise recap. Yes. <laughs> I'm just teasing. Um, no, I, I uh, for, for everything that Scott had said 
that was great about the film, I agree with. It's not one that I grew up watching. You know, I was so young at the time, um, and I was interested in other things. But watching, rewatching it as an adult, I really do have a greater appreciation for it. It's definitely a fun movie, and you know, as Scott said, it's so stylistic, which I love, and um, I enjoy feeling like I'm going into a new world with these interesting characters and just the beautiful scenery and, and it's, it is, it's very imaginative and dreamy and it's a nice escape, it's a sweet escape and I think it's a fun, fun movie. I think it's definitely something that, you know, parents our age, I would hope that they would pass on to their kids because it's a clean movie and um, yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm glad that you guys asked me to revisit it because it was a real treat. Um, like I said earlier, it was a little confusing when I saw it when I was nine um, because of all the hype. I, I was expecting something a little different. Um, and I was wondering, you know, like, which which kids out there in the world wanted to play with these wrinkly gangster action figures? And I have my answer. The, there you go. the Wheeler Brothers were the target demographic for this movie. They were in so many ways. Um, but it's, it's a gorgeous film. Um, it's, you know, the... Even the advertising is iconic. Those t-shirts were everywhere yeah. in the summer of 1990, you guys. Mm -hmm. So if you go to an antique store and see <laughs> the yellow hat in the profile, that's what that was all about. Um, <laughs> and, um, oh, what else was I going to say? Uh, I, I think that it's, it's, it's a flawed masterpiece. Um, I don't know if I would put it in the canon. I know that's not our job. Mm -hmm. That's another <laughs> podcast. That's yeah. really um, but I think I would, I, I think it's going to hold its place in, um, you know, American cinema film, film textbooks for a long time. It's, it is stunningly beautiful. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. It's hard for me to look at this completely objectively because this was a, a favorite of mine back then. Like, it, you know, this and Batman were like this one-two punch that mm -hmm. happened back-to-back. -back. And I, I think that I was one of the rare kids that actually took the Dick Tracy more than most people my age at the time. As Becky said, I think a lot of people, it didn't hit them. Mm -hmm. It feels like a movie that was geared more towards adults yeah. at that time that were having nostalgia for Tracy than the kids. But it introduced me to Al Pacino. It introduced me to Warren Beatty. It introduced me to... I knew who Madonna was, but it introduced me to a lot of different actors that I had never really had seen or, you know, and I went back to check their earlier work and that was a huge... one of the big impacts of this movie for me. In the 1930s, like, I mm -hmm. wanted to check out Casablanca because Humphrey Bogart had a fedora like Dick Tracy. So. Oh, he would have <laughs> like, been such a great Dick Tracy. Oh, you know, I... If, I, yeah. if we could only dream... We could re we could bring him back to life just so Humphrey Bogart could play Dick Tracy, which he would probably hate being in that yellow jacket anyway. But <laughs> well, um, it would be black and white. So yeah, it could be like a, <laughs> oh, he'd be an awesome Tracy. Lauren McCall would be a good test true heart. Yes, she oh, yeah. would. Yeah, she would. She could also be breathless. She could. She's one person who could yeah. play both. Um, I agree with Becky. I, I think the flaws are mostly in the story. I, the story is there's a lot going on, mm -hmm. and it's sometimes hard to follow. Um, it's hard. Some plot points come in and they come out. Uh, they cram a lot of villains in this. Yeah. It would have been better if maybe they saved Pruneface for his own film. Or <laughs> it kind of reminded me of like Batman versus Superman. Too many villains. Too yeah. Much yeah. Going on. 
Uh, but I cannot deny the charm of the movie. Like, mm-hmm. I think the music is outstanding mm-hmm. on both Elfman's yeah. score. I, I, I'm a sucker for that, and I'm a sucker for the Sondheim Great American Songbook pastiches that he kind of throw in there uh, sooner or later in all those songs. I love Pacino's performance. I love. He got nominated for an Oscar for this, by the way. Pacino oh. got a nod for Best Supporting Actor. Wow. He lost to Joe Pesci in Goodfellas. Well, which makes well yeah. yeah. But although I would love to see those characters meet <laughs> and have a yell yell There would be a lot of yelling in that scene for a sure. Scenery eating contest. More swearing from Pesci's end, too. You know, oh, I'm cursing. sad Ray Liotta didn't win. He was great in Goodfellas. Yeah, I don't even know if Ray Liotta was nominated for Goodfellas. He should have been, probably. Yeah. Goodfellas should have won Best Picture, but it lost yeah. to Dances with Wolves that year. Are you serious? I'm not joking. <laughs> That's a, I would never kid oh about that. I, that hurts me to say it. <laughs> <laughs> it hurts me to hear it. Yeah. Yeah, Dances with Wolves. Not a very rewatchable yeah. movie. No, no not a movie. Yeah. Tracy, though, very watchable. Yeah, and Goodfellas. Goodfellas, very watchable. Yeah. Godfather 3. There's a lot of interesting movies. There's a lot of gangster movies made in 1990 with the same sure. actors. Uh, um... But you know they call a trend. They do. Yeah. I, I love the set design. I would recommend this. I, I, I think this whatever flaws it might have, I think it, it's something that's worth checking out. And certainly if you're gonna do a let's say at a theater, if you're gonna do a retrospective on comic book movies over the years, you have to include yeah, Dick Tracy. It's so crucial to the development of that mm-hmm. of that whole thing. So it's on Blu-ray. It actually does does have a Blu-ray wow. release. Uh, it is bare bones. But the movie looks <laughs> superb. It Meaning looks, no special features. No special special what? features. Not even the interview. That angers me because <laughs> not I'm, even the breathless music. Yeah, video. I know. Uh, that angers me for a number of reasons because I think there. If, if you are interested in this movie, I think a lot of people want to know about the behind the scenes, mm-hmm. inner workings, and retrospective interviews with people that were involved. But you just have the movie. It looks great. There's a couple trailers from movies that are now dated, like Oz the Great and Powerful. <laughs> I skipped through that. And uh, uh, some that? TV show that was on in like 2009, 2010 <laughs> that I've forgotten. So uh, so that's it. Um, Becky, I want to thank you for being a guest. Thank yeah, you. tremendous yeah. guest. Yeah. Thank you guys so much. Uh, do you have anything coming up that you'd like to promote in the, the things you're involved with <laughs> in and about town? Yes, um, check out ColumbusUnscripted.com. We are starting a new season up. We have shows uh, the second and fourth Friday of every month at our new space at Open Heart Art Studios. And we're starting to do classes every Saturday. And I will be in a stand-up comedy competition on the oh, wow. 9th. Yes. Oh, and, nice. Uh, Larry B's Virgin Comedy Competition. <laughs> so oh, wow, good. We'll see how that goes. Excellent. I'm kind of curious how that goes, too. <laughs> Great name, too. Yeah. <laughs> um, Scott and I are going to be doing the Wheeler Brothers at both the Columbus Improv Wars. You can catch us there or the Nest Theater, where we seem to be performing fairly regularly these days. Yeah, so that will be just, you know look around on that <laughs> um do your own research on yeah that. we're not going to give you the details um uh, and also in uh a couple shows at the nest as well i don't know when those will be so just go to the nest and you'll see the shows what shows are they uh i'm in a group called sticks and stones and i'll be filling in for storyteller a few times i don't know when in july and august um also pocket lens the second friday of each month at cafe kerouac and uh 
it. Tony, you have anything? Yeah, I um, will be performing with uh, Savage Tech uh, in June. I think it's Thursday, June 14th. Mm -hmm. We have our Sick World of Doctor show over at the Backstage Bistro. Um, it's a combination of, you know, campy horror comedy and sketch comedy and improv and uh, the production value is just incredible and it's unlike anything I've ever been a part of or anything I've seen here in Columbus. So check that out. Um, I will also be at the Nest, I'm sure throughout the summer, with uh, my pals at Savage Tech. We're doing improv wars as well. We are debuting a brand new brand for our improv, so that's going to be fun. And um, that's all I can think of right now that I have in the pipeline. Awesome. And of course, uh, look for Cinema Wheeler Tay wherever you can. Yes. Uh, <laughs> like uh, us on Facebook. Yeah, you find us on iTunes and also um, Podbean, which is our central yep. hub. Mm -hmm. And look at our Facebook and Twitter pages. We're always updating with different things you can do. We can create polls now, which yes. excites me <laughs> as a junkie. So uh, I can't wait to start utilizing that more. And uh, give us a great review, too, because we beg for the best possible reviews. Yeah, five star reviews. Yeah. <laughs> We'll take four stars, too. We'll take flawed masterpiece, too. I think that would be a perfect, yeah, perfect, perfect junket, you know, cue for me would be flawed masterpiece. Or, or, or I'll say, like, my personal favorite, you know, B-side podcast. Yeah. yeah, there you go, B-side. There you go. Or Bayside podcast, or which would be a great idea which for is a base, There is a Bayside podcast. I'm sure there is. Yeah. There's probably yeah. 50 of them out there. Sabrina uh, wants to also thank you guys for listening. Yeah, yeah Sabrina, today. the Simpson Wheeler Tay official cat member. Well, thank you very much. <laughs> thank you very much, everybody, and see you next time. Bye. What I'm looking for is a driver. Preferably one with some mileage. Hello, gentlemen. Where's Lips Manless? Who's Lips Manless? Yeah, who's Lips Manless? We get to make one phone call. That's the law. Yeah? <laughs> yeah. Give me the phone. There's the phone. Be my guest. Make a note, Pat. They waived their right to a phone call. Right, Tracy. Hey, copper. Maybe you ought to look before you leap, huh? We got rights. Take the bad men away. They scare me. Stretch it, stretch it. Don't show For action in the face of grave danger, the kid, whose name will be filled in when he thinks of one, is awarded this honorary detective certificate with badge.